Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the first HR Uprising episode of 2022. Hopefully you had a great Christmas and New Year, although I appreciate it's now the 10th of January and you might be thinking that was ages ago and we're back into the routine of everyday life. However, we thought we'd take this opportunity just to have a little look back on 2021. We're now up to 144 HR Uprising episodes, so there's loads of great content out there and we've had some really brilliant guests. So this first episode we thought was an opportunity just to look back on 2021 and to remind ourselves of all the great guests that we had on there and uh, give us this opportunity just to reflect. Maybe you might want to revisit some of those episodes from 2021 or even from 2020. So we're going to run through our top 10 guests uh, from 2021, and I hope you're going to enjoy this highlights episode. So on to our first clip from last year, and I thought we'd start strong with Dave Ulrich. He was our guest on the 100th episode. I felt very lucky to have that conversation with him because he'd been a bit of a hero of mine over the years in terms of the many books he's written, and he was such a lovely bloke. And There's loads of great stuff in this episode. I would recommend anyone who wants to go back and and revisit it. But the little clip we're going to talk about really is about how we as HR professionals can influence others. What, What can we do to influence and engage the stakeholders that we work with? When I go to a meeting as an HR person, I don't want to just say, I'll make the strategy happen. I want to say, who are my customers? Who are my investors? What's the community where we live and work? And bring HR to that audience. So we don't want to just be the employer of choice. That's a specific thing. That's a great idea. We want to be the employer of choice of employees our customers would choose. I know you've done great work at Siemens and Pfizer in L&D. So you look at all the great training programs that we've offered. Are those training programs giving customers a better experience in our company? Funny you go there because I was just sorry. I was just going to ask about because it, it, this then goes to your metrics, doesn't it? Is how do you show your impact? And that's possibly why uh, you know when I was at Siemens, that's when employee engagement was a buzzword and was quite new. And one of the reasons that I liked that at the time, although I think maybe it's overdone, was the fact that in principle, employee engagement was supposed to impact customer engagement. So you could see a link. I realise there's, there's tenuousness in terms of that, but that that was the, it was how can we influence it because it's not always direct. But are you saying we should know more um, as an internal HR, we should get closer to the customers, we should really know the 
you know, it's almost our customers' customers because we've got our internal customers, but then know those as well. Absolutely. Uh, let me give an example since you mentioned engagement. About six weeks ago, I had a meal with, and I was able to actually go to a restaurant. So, uh, which may be one of the problems in the U.S. in the year 2020 that we were doing that. And um, with a, a couple of folks, and I won't name any more about them, they were so excited. They had put employee engagement onto an app. And you can see the timing and all that stuff here. And, and it would track stuff. It would measure stuff. It would do word processing. And it would give you a score about the employee engagement. They were so excited. They spent 20 minutes going through their digital and technology. And at the end, they looked at me hoping for validation and said, what do you think? And I said, why should I care? And they, what do you mean? And I said, you've just given me 20 minutes that I'm convinced you've got a great app. But why should I care? And they said, because it's great. It measures well-being. It measures engagement. So what? And they looked and said, I don't understand. And I said, when an HR person meets with a business leader, the first question is not, hey, I can measure employee engagement. The first question is, what are you worried about? What are the metrics that you care about? Are you worried about customer engagement, net promoter score, revenue per customer? Absolutely. Are you worried about cost of capital? either your stock price to going up or the debt you have to, how much you have to pay to borrow money. Yeah. I'm worried about that. Would you like a way to help you make that happen better? Yeah. That's why we do employee engagement. Employee engagement is not about the employee. It's about the engagement so that we can succeed with that customer. I got to be honest. They didn't get it. Yeah. So I, I paid for their lunch. I was generous and, and I wish them well. But that's where I hope if you're an HR person in a small company, when you sit down with your business leader, don't say, I have a solution. Say, I have a question. What do you care about? What are the issues that are on your scorecard and how can I help you make them happen? And that is a great link as well, because I think one of the, the things is people don't always feel confident as to how they can demonstrate business value or demonstrate being strategic but actually it is about just asking questions and listening and understanding someone else's point of view and understanding sufficient of the business and then thinking about how you can influence that and I said that's where the engagement piece is what's what can you influence that's related to people that's related to your area if you're in HR or learning and development that may influence it. So now on to something completely different moving on from Dave into a topic which I hadn't covered before. And it was very interesting to talk to Nikki Eyre and Kathy Donaldson towards the back end of 2021 about how we can address workplace bullying. Again, this was chock-a-block full of statistics and evidence and quite a practical and eye-opening episode. So here we're going to go in and listen to Kathy Donaldson talking about the challenge in the way that we currently tend to deal with workplace bullying and why things really need to change. A lot of the people that have been through this process either as a bully or have been witnesses to it or have seen it, actually hardworking, dedicated, loyal employees who have got clashing personalities, toxic cultures, whatever it might be, that something's going wrong somewhere in terms of the interpersonal dynamic with people in the workplace. And that's the bit that's affecting business outcomes, mental health, diversity and inclusion, psychological safety in the workplace. 
So for me, it's not just about looking at the target of the bullying behaviors, it's about the impact on you know, the human-centric and the people-centric organizations that organizations are so desperate to build because they put it into their values, but actually unwittingly perhaps will be falling into bullying behaviors that are making people feel undervalued and victimized, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, so there's a, it's, a, it's a huge minefield, but what, what we recognize is that more and more people are coming forward and going, oh yeah, that was my experience at the workplace. And rather than take it on and go through the grievance process, I left. And that's the bit that's a shame because you're not picking up on the damage that's actually being created when actually there's there's different ways of managing people in the workplace. And I guess you're saying there, Cathy, is, is that um, if it, it's not just the loss of talent of someone opting with their feet, if it's a systemic problem, so if it is a toxic yeah. culture or a managed, so, so therefore it becomes, it's going to perpetuate, it's just the next person that gets it um, in terms yeah. of that. Yeah, and, 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 you look at, and you look at the way that, you know, people will be, venting their spleen about their experience on Glassdoor or yeah. Indeed. So it will damage your reputation and your brand. We know some very high profile brands have been exposed in the media recently for toxic and bullying workplace cultures mm-hmm. and investors then shy away and potential employees shy away. And you know people then don't feel um, free to speak up if they've seen other people um, experiencing really rough treatment at the hands of, a, a, of an organization. So now on to a lighter topic and scooting back, right back to the beginning of the year. And this is talking to Michelle Parry Slater about her book, The Learning and Development Handbook, which I highly recommend, and how we can add value as learning and development or HR professionals by doing development differently. I wrote this book really to help people to understand how to move away from just doing what we've done for decades, which is transactional buying courses, whether that's online e-learning or whether that's face-to-face when we could do that, remember that, Um, you know, that sort of thing. And helping people to think about how can they do this a little bit um, more strategically and differently to be more effective. So it's about demonstrating value. So it is about helping people um, in their workplace when they need the learning, as opposed to waiting for a course to come up. And that's really the whole premise of how we add better value in L&D. It's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, I, we both are L&D background, um, aren't we? And, and I always remember people would almost get to the end of the performance management cycle and go, OK, so what training do you want now? Which to me was kind of it's kind of like a reward or a shopping list as opposed to for me the training should be enabling us at the right time to perform or in a career it should have a purpose exactly Um, right yeah it should there should be a reason a business reason that you're trying to solve and that's why the learning um, is there but so often it is that sort of performance management cycle or oh my goodness I've got to the end of the year and I haven't done any learning yet Um, and and that's not really where we can add the best value as professional L&Ders so there's so many we were talking before weren't we there are so many angles that we could go at this but we haven't got oodles of time you know we needed to to filter it down so if we were to start with you mentioned strategies if you were someone who is a non-L&D professional and you need to do a learning strategy or you need to come up with something which is more strategic um, around learning where would you start easy one for me this start with the business strategy 
Um, there, there shouldn't be a separate L&D strategy in the same way as I don't think there should be a separate HR strategy. It all just spills out. What is it that your business is trying to aim for and go there? Um, and so I often find if you have a conversation with people about what do you want to learn, instantly their brain goes back to what they know, which is classroom or, um, you know, formal, that sort of thing. Whereas if you go along with a conversation around what's troubling you, what doesn't work, you know, where are we now? Um, and if you could paint a, a picture of the future, where would you like to be? And it's at that place that we can plug in great learning. Um, and until you realize what people's future view is, what, you know, what's the strategy that they're aiming towards in their business, you can start also talking in their language. So if their strategy, for example, is we want to, you know, raise our customer profile or, or get 100,000 more customers, you, you're instantly in a frame of mind which is about supporting that growth. Okay, so now on to our repeat guest. So this is going to Mervyn Dinan talking about internal mobility as a talent management strategy. And actually, we've got Mervyn on again next week talking about the great resignation, whether it's a thing or not. But Mervyn is always brilliant to have on. He's so knowledgeable and full of, well, full of most up-to-date research. So let's listen to what Mervyn has to say. There is this thing as well, another one of our findings about the, the, the short-term or siloed thinking, uh, more from managers. Mm. And this comes down to very much a cultural thing and, and something that uh, I've been talking about for a few years now is this this, I suppose, this classification of managers being you know, talent producers and talent holders. And th th one of the problems that we uncovered during this was, was the, 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 the visibility of information. So you know, a lot of managers, if they've got a role to fill or talent acquisition teams, don't have visibility of, you know, the, the skills, the knowledge uh, that's in the business. They don't have access to the you know, performance data and, and and any of that either because it sits in silos or because managers don't don't actually record it they've got the yeah. technology but they want to record it because they don't want somebody else to take their people and that that, that comes down to i suppose the, the the cultural thing that most managers are rewarded for having high performing teams so want to keep the high performers mm. but high performers are probably the people who are going to be looking for a stretch yes somewhere else another role a challenge um and so, you know, they, they, they will leave. They are in the 62% who leave to get a job that they could have had internally. Whereas if we find a way to reward and encourage managers to produce talent for the whole organisation, um, we, we won't have the silo thinking. There'll be much more availability of data and information around the business. Always great to have Mervyn on the show. And now on to the topic of diversity. From episode 130, we were covering, we did lots on diversity. I think it was September 2021, such an important topic. And I was really lucky to talk to William T. Rollock over from the States, who's an expert in this area. And what he's talking about in this clip is about the influence of diversity and how we should see it as a strategic bringer of value to the scorecard. There's really five levels, I think, of understanding that executives must have in order to really truly understand the impact of diversity inclusion and then embrace that impact and infuse it into business strategy. So how do we get there? There's five levels of learning or understanding. Those first two levels, I think everybody gets. And not only the executive, everybody gets these first two levels. They understand, you know, 
Diversity comes from this compliance or it was birthed from compliance, right? Mm. And so they understand the legalities of diversity, but then levels two is they also understanding talent and culture. Like, you know, we must have, we must, you know, recruit from all talent pools and then we must celebrate those cultures. But unfortunately it's like an elevator and that's where the elevator of understanding stops. As chief diversity officers, as HR leaders, CHROs around the world, we must move them beyond that understanding, that limited capacity of understanding, move them into levels three, four, and five, which is economic value at three, innovation at four, and that fifth is business integration. And where does diversity integrate with the business strategy with, from that DNI lens? And those are simply the five pillars that we talked about earlier. The key points here around economic value is that everything that diversity includes and touches in the organization has a financial formula. That is so missed. Even when we were talking about culture and when we we're talking about talent and we HR executives, we know there's a scorecard, right? Well, that yeah. diversity also infuses more value into the scorecard. Moving on from the topic of diversity, onto how we can think about belonging at work, which I guess is really quite aligned because we were talking about inclusion with William and belonging. It's so key for engagement. I was really lucky to talk to Aoife O'Brien in episode 107. She's also a podcast host and uh, she has a, po- a podcast called Happiness at Work, which I recommend you take a look at. It was really great to listen to her her general views on belonging based on some research that she'd done as part of her PhD, I think it was, or her, her master's. And she, in this particular clip, is talking really about how we can develop people and need to just give out more feedback and recognition, which we know we should, but she's telling us all about that and why it's important. And then onto the competence piece, really what is needed. And I've made this mistake as a manager myself, where people who I managed came to me and I thought, wow, they're doing a phenomenal job. They must know it. And you assume if someone's doing a really good job that they know they're doing a really good job. And they, this happened on two occasions, two separate people. And they approached me and they said, listen, can you let me know how I'm doing? You know, I, I, they didn't say, oh, I really want to impress you, but, but it was obvious that I, as their manager, they saw me as like, this is someone who I really want to please. And I realized I, on two separate occasions, so obviously I didn't learn from the first time, um, that they 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 weren't getting that from me. So I think as a manager, it's really, really important to tell your staff when they're doing something really well. But more than that, it's important to tell them specifically, like very specifically, this is what I would like to see more of and to focus on that. And I mean, we could go off on a tangent and talk about feedback and the, the, the downfalls of giving constructive or negative feedback, but, um, you know, and, and keeping the focus on, on the positive side of things. But I think it's, it's really, really important to deliver that feedback. Staying with the theme of developing people, I talked with Joe Wheatley in episode 110, who's an expert in coaching another podcast host. They've just um, launched a podcast too, um, all about how we can coach and what the different styles of coaching might be from an HR professional. And actually, Joe is somebody who's worth listening into and contacting. She, she runs supervision uh, and various coaching masterclasses for people. She's a real expert in this area. And in this clip, she outlines different types of coaching that we might choose to use. You mentioned three goal, three coaching models there, Oscar, Oscar, Clear and Grow, which is probably the certainly the one that I'm most familiar with. Um, 
are they used for different purposes or uh, and if you're an HR person which is the most useful one or is it just a preference thing people have their own personal preference but broadly speaking you know they are quite similar so if we take GROW for example GROW stands for uh, the G stands for the goal so if you're in HR you know people look forever turning up at your desk so you've got your diary well planned out and then somebody arrives at your desk oh well in the Virtual old world desk now, yeah, <laughs> yeah in, the, in the old world but maybe they're going to slack you or they're going to you know uh, message you in, in the virtual world we're in at the moment and so you might be conscious that you've only got 10 minutes so how do you manage that conversation so that that person um, is equipped to go away and do something you know with the issue that they came to so you might start the conversation you know by saying okay you know what we've got I've got 10 minutes what would you like to achieve in the 10 minutes that we've got together today so you're pacing the conversation and that person says oh do we, can you just tell me um, I've got to have a conversation with somebody in my team about changing their hours um, and I just wanted to check with you you know what I should be saying about that and I think one of our roles in HR is to empower other people or that's, you know, that's one of the lenses that I always had with my work. I always want to make myself redundant um, by, by doing that. So you might say, OK, so by the, at the end of this 10 minutes, you'd like to be clear around um, how to structure that conversation. Yes. The R stands for reality. So you might ask some questions in reality around what conversations have you had with this person so far? What's your current knowledge about um, how you have those conversations? So you're really starting to build up the understanding of the here and now. The O stands for options or opportunities. So if they've got some information that's missing and you don't have time to do it, you might explore with them, what have you, um, you know, what research have you done already? What resources have you got access to? What are the other options? And the options could include, actually, maybe it'd be better if I delay the conversation because I'd really like, to, you know, one option is you and I sit down together for half an hour and we need to schedule that. So you'd explore the options. And then the W is for way forward or sometimes it's referenced as will. And so this is the action piece. So I, um, you know, what's good about it is it's a semi-structure but you know then you've got 10 minutes and you're going to take that person on that journey. So they're going to go away with a clear action. Now, you don't know at the start of it and they don't know what that action necessarily is going to be. So that's really useful. And the way I describe coaching or taking a coaching approach is it's about understanding the person that you're with, understanding their reality, their here and now. And in a full coaching sense, it's about that personal and professional lens. And it's about understanding what small or significant changes do they want to make. And in a coaching sense, it would be going into their past, so their, like their values and their beliefs, which are, are kind of filters that we have, insofar as it's relevant to achieving that future. So coaching is future focused. So it's about identifying where are they now? Where do they want to get to? And what is the gap? Is it capacity? Is it knowledge? Is it beliefs? You know, what is the gap? And then because often in conversations, people talk about the symptoms, they don't talk about the root cause. And that is a defining feature of a coaching um, engagement or conversation. Dr. Georgie Tomer is the guest that we're going to look at going back to episode 122. And we were talking about the wellbeing protocol. This particular episode is so meaningful I guess really Georgie talks about some of her challenges that she's had herself with mental health and how that's informed the research that she's done and after the 
particular episode, I actually stayed on and talked to her directly about some challenges that my family have had. Uh, she's just an absolute wealth of information. I really recommend that you listen listen to this episode and maybe reach out to her. She's based in New Zealand, uh, but it was fantastic to have this conversation with her. There are ways in which we cause unnecessary stress and overwhelm for ourselves. And that is because we haven't been taught to practice very basic brain hygiene. So as we go through the course of the day, our brain becomes more and more um, um, stimulated. Right. And it's like a toddler. If anyone's had a toddler, when they're very tired, they tend to have tantrums. They tend to cry. They're unconsolable and they can't rest. Also, it's very hard for them to fall asleep because they're overstimulated. Yeah, exactly. So we need to learn to practice very simple and basic brain hygiene exercises. And, And one of the most simple ones is you need to take a break during the day where you simply learn to let go of your thoughts. And you can call it a meditation practice, that's fine. You can listen to an audio, but understand that it is, the purpose of it is brain rest. So you engage in the practice of letting your thoughts go, coming back, what is real for me right now? Well, what's real is that I'm at my desk, but I'm taking a break. And it's so pleasant to just feel that I'm breathing and that's all that's required of me in this life. My presence is enough. Staying with the theme of well-being and mental health in particular, I was delighted to have the opportunity to speak to mental health first aider and general expert in this field, Anna Harrington, in episode 103. So what is it that enables an individual to stay healthy and well? What are the components of that? The components that they themselves have got control of as an individual, but what are the environmental um, aspects as well that impact on that individual's ability to be well and be healthy? Oh, and we, we used we used we used a model um, called the Maslow hierarchy of need, which you probably you know many of you may be very very familiar with. And you know it starts off with basic needs of looking at food, shelter, warmth, and actually you think surely that's all covered off. And you and actually do you know what I did an assessment yesterday where some of those needs weren't covered off. And actually at the moment. Um thinking of our HR audience and there with people it's about securities isn't it basic needs whether they exactly. actually have it or there's fear of it and, yes. and in these uncertain times that is going to affect people's health exactly. mental health one of the best things about doing the podcast is having the opportunity to talk to great characters and staying with the topic of health uh, but definitely talking to a great character I'm moving on to the podcast that we did, which is about neuroscience at work. And it was with John Whitfield, who's an HR practitioner, but a real expert in this area. It's totally practical, really great to chat to him. And this particular 
clip is where he's informing us really about the importance of sleep and how and when we sleep and what it does to our brains. So a great clip to end on, I hope. Well, you, you get these people, you get the high, the, the high performers who say, I only need four hours of sleep and I, and I can doctor on. And that's great. But the, the scientists, scientists say that you've got more, if, if you, you have got more chance of being hit by lightning than being of one of those special people who can actually survive on that much sleep. In general, we all need between seven and nine hours. Eight, we average out, we'll say eight hours. Everybody gets that per night. They're in a good, they're in a good place. But whenever I do leadership development or, or anything like that, and I say, right, what, what, what's your daily routine look like? Everybody says to me, well, I get up at five, I'm out for six, I'm at the office for half past bloody blood. Great, but your day doesn't start there. Your day starts the night before the time you go to bed because that's the time where your brain is getting ready for the next day. Because when you go to sleep, you've got, you've got five stages of sleep. You've got four stages of what they call non-REM, which is non-rapid eye movement. And you've got the rapid eye movement at the end of the famous, the celebrity of the sleep cycle, I like to call it, because everybody's heard of that. And each cycle works on a different a set of brain waves and it cleans the brain. It cleans the brain. It gets rid of all the, what we call the plaque from that we have stuff called cerebral spinal fluid it's half three in the afternoon it's struggle to get those out cerebral spinal fluid goes throughout the brain and washes what they call brain plaque away um and it does that now if you're only getting two cycles of sleep um normally a cycle of sleep lasts about 90 minutes so you go through the five stages in about 90 minutes and you'll always the final stage is always REM REM sleep if you are only having two cycles instead of six or seven cycles, you're not getting the cleaning you, you should have. Now, famously, Margaret Thatcher and, and Ronald Reagan were both advocates of only getting four hours sleep a night. However, both famously uh, fell to Alzheimer's late in, yeah. late in life. Now, now, neuroscientists have linked heavily poor quality sleep with the onset of dementia. And, and science is really, really spending a lot of money on the study of that at the moment. And um, the World Health Organization has um, measured night shift work and they've calculated that it's a, a probable cars, carcinogen. Mm. Now, not a possible, a probable carcinogen because we're not nocturnal beings. We're supposed to sleep at night and it throws everything out. So sleep is incredibly important in the realms because not only does it recharge the batteries, but it cleans the brain and also consolidates memory as well. So everything we, if we're learning something, everything we've learned in the day is consolidate when we sleep. So that's it for our Best Bits 2021 Highlights episodes. I hope it stimulated you to maybe go back and look at the library. And so next week is our 144th episode. So we're gunning towards episode 150. And I only want to carry on doing this if it is bringing value to people. But I hope you'll agree that those highlights definitely demonstrate some really great quality episodes that might be worth revisiting. So lots in store this year. If you have enjoyed the HR Uprising podcast. I know I say it on the opening and closing, but 
it'd be really, really appreciated if you might mention it to colleagues or friends because we're always good to grow our reach. We have an HR Uprising LinkedIn group. You can join us there. And that's one of the places I go to ask people for inspiration as to who I should be um, inviting onto the podcast or what topics you'd like me to cover. So please do get in touch. Give us a review um, if you don't mind on the whichever way you listen to your podcast. That's much appreciated. It helps us to be found because there's loads and loads of podcasts out there. And I hope you enjoy listening to the episodes that we have in store for 2022. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.